Brooklyn's doing these, these exciting things. And you're, you know, you're like 20 or something and, and you're just kind of like, okay. And so, you know, not, not really doing much. And so I kind of felt like, you know, I was telling everybody, oh yeah, I'm going to be a lawyer or maybe a doctor because it made me feel good. But I eventually had to come to the grips that like, I didn't want to do all those things. I actually wanted to be an artist and I wanted to work in art, but I didn't know where. Um, and, you know, we'll st I'll give you the, the aha moment and then we'll stop, take a break for a second. But, you know, one day I got home from a graveyard shift from, you know, one of the jobs I was working at. And I was always good at computers. I kind of grew up with computers. Uh, and I was always good at art. And one day I, was, I came home from a graveyard shift and I was playing this game called Metal Gear Solid on the PlayStation 1. And Metal Gear Solid is a classic game. It was one of my favorite games. And it occurred to me that this was made with human hands. Like this was made by someone... Like I had always just assumed that like it was made by a computer programmer, but this was made by someone who could draw like me. And so I began to investigate, you know, video game artists like as a job. And, you know, back in 2002, you know, early 2003 is like unheard of. It's like not many people were like video game artists as a job. No schools were teaching it. You know, when I was in high school, in 96, it didn't even exist, you know. Uh, and so I began to like track down every professional video game artist I possibly could and learn everything about them. Um, and so, you know, and then, yeah, and then I basically just tracked down like what tools uh, I needed and just tried to get good. And, and that was like, that was the beginning of the journey was just making a decision and then just going all in on it. And this begins this process of, of moving through various video game companies, uh, tr trading up almost mm -hmm. every time, maybe sometimes oh, yeah. trading down. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know working really hard to get that first job, right, as an artist is one of the hardest things, you know, and, and you know, we just spoke to, to, to a bunch of, of students here um, who are, you know, going into arts or the arts or anything creative or, you know, and uh, art is, can be so subjective uh, between like personal art and, and what can be like commodified, you know, like something that people can sell or that fits well within a video game art production. Uh, and that's what I was trying to do. So I got that first job uh, with, in a very, very small studio in, in Pleasant Grove with just three guys. And it was so small and, and, you know, but that was what I needed. That's all. I mean, I needed just a foot in the door and just to do really, really well and, uh, and a good recommendation from them so that the next job uh, would be better. And, and that's exactly right, Ryan. Like I, I kind of traded up every time um, and, and learned a lot about like what makes a healthy studio and what makes a toxic studio and um, you know, what kind of people are fun to work for and what kind of people you want to avoid. And um, you know, it, video the software and video games is a very interesting industry because you have it's tech and art, you know, you're dealing with all, all the craziness of a software company uh, and production management and all that stuff combined with artists and storytellers who want to make ex moving experiences for people and, sometimes the commercial interests and the artistic integrity clash. And, um, you know, over time I've learned to find that happy medium, you know, for both. And I, I think I've definitely found that at Marvel where, but, you know, over, you know, I've, I've had a 20, 20, 20 plus year career now. And I've definitely been, you know, at places where the commercial success was more important than artistic integrity. And sometimes the other way around, artistic integrity is more important than commercial success. But, you know, and, and I've seen both sides of that. You know, it's interesting to me as we've been talking that, that your job specifically really comes at a time where, where none of this ever really existed, 
right? It's this this mer- emergence of of accessible technology with the power to really tell the stories in the way that you did. Like you talk about those three guys in the basement who were probably just beginning kind of computer nerds when they oh, yeah. were, when they were younger. I mean, when I was a kid, it was, it was the Atari, yeah, right. The 2600 and space invaders. And uh-huh. that was the cutting edge. And, and now I think that technology had become more accessible. The internet had helped that and really opened up a field mm. for you to kind of be, no, maybe not a pioneering, but maybe that second generation of yeah, yeah. Of people. I, I think it was like I, I'm either second or third generation game developer if I, I think about it. You know, because when I joined, when I got into the game industry, uh, it was you know the old timers in, in, in the industry. You know, in like 2003, these were all the guys who helped create things like the first Nintendo 64. You know, like 3D was like. The, the big breakthrough for the generation before me. Before them, it was the 2D sprites, it was Atari, it was all that stuff, um, you know, and Nintendo, you know, but then I feel like the Nintendo 64 era, which was in the ni- like 1995, 96, that sprung that next generation of game developers where you got, you know, the guys from id, you know, guys like John Carmack, John Romero, uh, and, you know, uh, Cliff, Blazinski, like that entire movement that happened in Texas. You got Doom, you got Wolfenstein, everything starts, starts going 3D. And so that's kind of like, the, those were like, the, that was a class right before me. And then my, when I got in, the, the new tech was like per, pix, uh, per pixel shading, like, uh, like normal maps. Uh, that's when you get in like Doom 3 uh, era, you know, and, you know, PlayStation 2. So that's kind of like, you know, and so a lot of the guys that, uh, that were churning out were guys that didn't want to adopt the new technology uh, of like ZBrush or like digital sculpting and learning how to do like per pixel shading and all this. They just kind of like, they didn't want to grow. And so a lot of people churned out uh, in the game industry. And because I had taught myself this new technology of how to use shaders and and how to bake normal maps and bake specular maps and blah, 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 and I'll get too technical, but I learned a new pipeline that was the cutting edge pipeline at the time. So all of a sudden, even though my art wasn't that great, I knew the pipeline well enough so that I could I could be of, of help to, to a studio that wants to make a cutting edge game. You know, when I first got married, PlayStation two was the big thing. Like we got, yeah, yeah. we, we, you know, that was one, a wedding present or something that we had gotten. And we would decide who did the dishes that night by playing soul blade <laughs> in, in the, in the electronic dojo. And yeah. I, I did a lot of dishes is, yeah. is what I'm saying. So <laughs> uh, the question I, I get that, that in, in many ways, the way video games have evolved more aggressively are sometimes mini movies, right? Like you can go online and see the cutscenes of all the animations of oh, a yeah. video game, right? And it's a story in and of itself. Mm-hmm. So c- can you maybe describe, first of all, and I guess we should say some of the bigger games you worked on, but but the process of how that happens. Uh, like the process of, of what? How a, how a game starts as like a like idea and someone's some, head? Some or... guy says, hey, we should make a game about Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, uh, Spider-Man is different because that takes a, someone with a ton of money says, hey, we should make a game about Spider-Man. That's how it usually starts. But, um, you know, uh, man, these days, you know, I feel like anybody can make a video game. Like Unreal Engine is free. Uh, you know, getting it on the, on the Steam marketplace is not a lot of work. So the indie game scene has actually exploded. Like anybody can make a video game. It, anybody can. In fact, the Steam Steam store is like kind of flooded right now with like so many indies, and it, it it's so hard to stand out from the crowd. So these days, what really, really, and, and I want to say, it, 
people are still trying to figure it out because you have games like Spider-Man, right, that are these huge franchise games that have hundreds of millions of dollars in, in marketing. Uh, and then you have games like, uh, like Among Us, or you have games like Fall Guys, or you have, that, that start out as these like weird sort of like niche things that become a phenomenon because like some dude streamed it, streamed it one day. Now all the kids want to play it, right? There's a few right now that that everyone's kind of looking at because they have like horrible graphics, but the gameplay uh, uh, is amazing. You know, PUBG. I don't know if you guys know what PUBG is, but PUBG kind of was like that. Started an entire genre of like this like, survival genre. Graphics were horrible, but it was fun. I think League of Legends could even be put in that category. It started from a mod uh, called Dota that was made from World Warcraft 3 engine. And then this mod uh, called Dota got so popular. And all of a sudden, these two guys, uh, the founders of Riot Games, were like, why, are, why isn't somebody like polishing this and like offering customer support and making this an actual thing? And that became the MOBA genre. So, you know, so I, I think... <sighs> I think, first of all, you got to have a, not just a good idea, but a good game idea. I can't tell you how many people have come up to me and said, like, hey, I got a great game idea, you know, uh, Grand Theft Auto, but you're the cops. It's like, cool idea, bro. <laughs> like, you know, ideas are cheap, you know, like, oh, I got a good idea for you. Like, what if you played, like, Red Dead Redemption, but, like, from the horse's perspective? It's like, dude, that's not a cool idea. That's stupid. Like, <laughs> but everybody's got ideas, and some ideas are stupid. And what did Steve Jobs said something that people quote all the time? It's like, you know, you can give a mediocre idea or you can, give a, you can give a great idea to a bad team and they'll ruin it. And you can give a mediocre idea to a great team and they'll either execute it brilliantly or replace it with something better, right? So ideas are super, super cheap. The ability to execute an idea is like much more, much more valuable. So, you know, whenever I go to these, I go to like game developer conferences or something like that and I have idea people, I'm always asking them like, dude, make, build a prototype build a prototype, you know, uh, either hire an artist or learn how to draw these things out so that I can imagine like what I'm supposed to be seeing in this like gray boxed out prototype and like what your vision is other than just a, a, a word pitch. So, and then you just got to kind of pitch it around so you can get funding. And, uh, you know, I, I talked about this before, but, you know, learning how VC funding works, uh, how, how venture capitalist investments work, because there's a lot of, there's a lot of investment funds out there that are looking for the next League of Legends. And so you could, you could get, you can get 500 grand, you know, if you play your cards right and have a small team and live, you know, and support that small team for about two or three years to get like a, a legit alpha build. So, but yeah, it's, there's a lot, there's a lot that goes into like making a video game. Like, uh, but yeah, it, it does use start with an idea, a prototype and funding. <laughs> so I, I think that's fascinating. And, and we're actually going to take our first break now. Cause I want to, I think this is a good spot. And then I want to come back and talk about playability versus story. Mm. If, if we can do that. So if you've listened to us before, you know that we all ask, we ask our guests to give us some songs that, that meant something to them and then we play them. So the song that we're going to start with is a song called Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now by the Smiths. <laughs> so can you tell us why you chose this song? Well, because it's because Morrissey is just a, a mopey guy and the Smiths are just <laughs> it's a gloomy day. No, and I love the lyric where it's like, I was looking for a job and then I found a job and now I'm, I'm still miserable. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now by the Smiths.
That was Heaven Knows I'm Miserable Now by the band The Smiths. You are listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan. Thank you, Faith. We're here with uh, Josh Singh, who's the art director for Marvel Entertainment. And we were talking about the process of video games and those kind of things. So what what percentage would you say the diff- is the importance of playability versus story in one of these kind of large format video games that's a great question because i've worked 
it depends on what you want. There's all different kinds of games, right? Some people want a game that only tells a story. I just push a button and I go to the next movie and I solve a simple puzzle and I go to the next movie. Some people really want, like they, they really, I, there used to be a company called Telltale Games, you know, and they'd make stuff like that where it's just kind of like, you know, you have a quick time event, story happens. And, and that was really the thing. And then you have other games and the classic example is like uh, something like Tet Tetris, right? So I, I've worked at studios and, and, you know, sometimes it's a debate. It's like, do games even need a story? You know, everyone says, what about Tetris? You know, Tetris is a game. It doesn't need a story. What about Tic-Tac-Toe? It's a game. It doesn't need a story. And um, I, I would say, you know, it, it, it all depends. That's like the great creative. Any creative you ever ask a question, they're also going to say it depends, right? And I think that a story is intrinsic to anything if you look for it hard enough. Uh, some games will have the story, the story like all up in your face, like, you know, Spider-Man 2. It's like Spider-Man has to go fight this thing and learn who he is and have a journey of self-discovery. And so does Miles and so does everybody. And then, you know, everybody's better at the end. You know, they saw they defeated evil. They, they killed Venom and, you know, whatever. And, and it's the end. Right. Uh, and then other stories, it's like, hey, do you remember that time you did that thing? And I got really mad and then like I won and then I was, you know what I mean? That the story is the, it's in of the playing it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like, I remember on league of legends, it was like, Hey, what's the story of league of legends? When someone plays league of legends, is there like a narrative? And they're like, well, no, like league of legends is like basketball. It's like, you get in there, you play a match and you get out. And the story is more about like, you know, the players are the story. And you know, and, and I guess that kind of makes sense. But you could see, like, you know, if you ever have, if you watch Netflix, there's a show called Arcane based on the League of Legends universe. Like, they're really trying to build that IP into something that could be moved into other media other than just League of Legends. Because, yeah, like, you can't tell a compelling fiction narrative in a game that's like basketball or something like that. Um, so it, I, I, think, I think a lot of great games come from great story ideas, you know. Uh, but I don't think necessarily games need to have a, a narrative uh, to find a story, you know? Uh, so yeah, like I said, it, it, it depends on the, co I, I like working on games that have stories. I like, I like working on games that like I, you know, I'm playing as Spider-Man. I'm playing as uh, a hero, as a heroic character and I'm going through their journey and someone's telling that journey to me as I move through it. Like that's the kind of game I really like. And then things that are discovered and the gameplay's fun and the powers are compelling and, and I get to see this character arc and, and overcome challenges in, in the place of this character versus, hey, let's get together and let's play Fortnite and you're Banana Guy and I'm going to be, you know, licensed character, <laughs> you know, number 500. And, uh, and we're just going to go, you know, pwn some noobs real quick. Like, I mean, that's a fun story. But for me, it's like I, I, I just like sitting there with a good book, you know, uh, it's, it's a solitary experience sometimes. And I prefer that. So in, I would imagine in something as involved as, say, anything with like Marvel or some larger conglomerate of corporation type business thing, that, that there's some layers of approvability that must exist, right? So when you're doing a game like Spider-Man 2, there are certain things you cannot do or can do. I mean, is there like a Bible of what you can do with oh, Spider-Man in a yeah. video game? Oh, 100%. Yeah. And the more popular the character is, the more specific the style guide art Bible is. Brand guidelines is what we call them. So that, that is part of what I do at, at Marvel now is make sure that anything, or anybody who licenses Marvel 
uh, intellectual property for a video game that they're within brand guidelines. But we also want people to have their own vision for these characters. Like uh, we were talking about Midnight Suns, right? Uh, and so Midnight Suns was a game that came out by Firaxis and they really wanted to, the Midnight Suns is a comic from the 90s and, uh, and it was spelled Suns like S-O-N like the midnight suns but they changed it to midnight suns like you know like a midnight sun like in the sky and they wanted to have characters that weren't in the original midnight suns in there like like captain america and, and so and create cool like midnight suns gold and black costumes for them and integrate them into the story and we were totally cool with that like as long as like tony stark is still acting like tony stark as long as like hulk is you know still doing the things that bruce banner and hulk, like like their core themes their core thematic is intact we're usually fine with it every once in a while you know we'll have someone like do the scallops wrong on spider-man's webbing or get the wrong pattern you know wrong on captain america's shield then we just correct them um and so those are the visual style guides and those are very easy to fix because it's like here should be like this and i do a little paint over the i find the more compelling ones and the more compelling conversations are when we're talking story and we're like would wolverine do this uh does Deadpool need to be jokey all the time? You know, can he, t can he be serious? And when he's serious, what does that look like? And, you know, uh, what, you know, how, how do we make Tony Stark, a billionaire, uh, dude look, feel sympathetic? You know, it's kind of mm -hmm. hard, you know, he's like some billionaire tech bro. How do we make a game about that and make people like empathize with him? You know? And so, those are the much more and while still staying on brand right and, and still so those are those are the tougher conversations and the, the more rewarding ones because they usually lead to to really great scripts which then uh can really turn into really great games and, and then and then i would imagine so we talk about world building right like you, you have to in, in my mind that i'm not a huge video game player i, I enjoy the the story of them but but I would imagine that it's almost like a line at Disneyland, mm. right? Where you, you walk up to the line and it looks shorter than it is, or it looks shorter and then you turn a corner and there's more people, but they've always got something interactive to keep you staying in that line. Yeah. 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 Uh, like talking about like, the, like staying with a game. Yeah, like, like, cause you know, at some point it's like, at what point do you say, well, this is just too hard or I'm mm. just going to stop and drop it. I mean, yeah, that's just, that's just good game design. You know, uh, they call it, they call it, um, it's called the golden path. So whatever the main story is in a video game is the golden path. I mean, that's what we call it. I think other people want to call it something different, but it's like, hey, this is how, uh, you know, Kratos for like the God of War gets from point A to point B, the end of the story. That's the golden path. If you don't do any side missions, no collectibles, none of that, you just want to do straight the story, this is what's going to happen. And then from there, you do like maybe like a silver path, but these are like side missions, like, you know, Witcher. I don't know if anyone's ever played The Witcher from CD Projekt Red in Poland, but The Witcher 3 has amazing side contact that has nothing to do with the Golden Path, but every side quest has its own well-thought-out sort of conundrum that The Witcher uh, Geralt has to help solve, which helps the world-building. It's like, oh, there are people suffering, and I can ease their suffering with my powers, or there are people that demand revenge, and I can help. There's treasure to be found. And, and you begin this, this incredible world-building uh, exercise uh, that doesn't really get you to the end of the game, kind of goes out, you know? And I think that, you know, when you do that right, you kind of like give a bunch of like doable missions up front so people like learn the controls, develop proficiency, and then you just give them their first challenge to test that proficiency until by the end of the game, hopefully they've developed some kind of mastery. 
uh, is, is the right thing. You don't really want to give people like the final boss at level one, mm-hmm. you know, unless it's a gimmick, you know, like sometimes uh, they call I think Metroid does that a lot. Metroid will give you all of your powers, everything that you could ever earn right at the beginning of the game and then put you up against somebody and make it so you lose. And then you like start at square one and you have to work your way back up. You know, that's, that's like how they, that's how they tell their story. It's like you got, you just got your butt kicked. So now you got to earn, you got to go find your gun, you got to go find your helmet, you got to go find your cool thing, and then at the end you're going to try again. But now you have wisdom because you know what he's going to do. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's, it's kind of one of those things. You want to make the player feel, feel smart and feel powerful. And I, I, th- I think that's, that's what the best games do. I think that's an interesting idea about how you, you think about how you want the person playing to feel and not get lost in this, yeah. in this game. So in your experience with all the gamers that you know, are, are most people – those people that will enjoy the side quests or most people just say, Hey, it's like students, right? Mm-hmm. Cause I have students that say, I just want to know what's on the test. Th- that is what I want. Or others who say, I, I want to, to fill that a little further out. It's so weird. It's so weird because I, I'm absolutely one of those guys that'll like, I, I'll play like cyberpunk 2077 twice, you know, and, and like go through all the different paths and like, you know, there's a game called Baldur's Gate 3, you know, and it's like a long form sort of game. You make all these choices. And I love that stuff. And I'm like, and then I'll go talk with my friends. I'm like, did you, did you try doing this? Did you, did you get the, the owlbear into your camp? Did you, did you try being evil in this one decision? Or what did you do? I want to know what their decision. That's the conversation. But I've noticed that like my kids and a lot of the younger generation, they, uh, they just want to sit with their friends and just play Fortnite or just be in my, like, just chill. And I'm talking like 20 year olds, not kids. I'm talking like you know, young adults who've grown up with this stuff, it's like Minecraft, they just want to like hang out and just like, just like play Minecraft together and just talk about their day. And there's no, you know, I guess you could say there's a story to Minecraft, but like Fortnite, yeah, there's a story to Fortnite, I guess. But it's really, you know, it's, I guess it's what you need. Like, do you need that dopamine hit right now? Do you have some frustrations and you just need to like, you know, beat some, people up. just beat people up and then they turn into a pinata and you take their stuff, you know, like, like sometimes you need that. Sometimes you just, you just need, you know, like to go on an adventure, you know, sometimes you just need to forget like your day and, 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 you know, just like we used to do with movies. It's like, Hey, I want to, I just want to watch Indiana Jones, like go on an adventure. And I just want to, it's escapism. It's, it, 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 so it varies between like whatever you need between escape, escapism or stress release or, or social, social connection. You know, I was a big world of Warcraft player back in the day. And I'd get on just because all my friends were on, you know, and we could talk to each other and chat. And honestly, League of Legends was that way, too. You know, when I worked at Riot, it was a great way to connect with coworkers and stuff like that. And I only wanted to get good at League of Legends so that I could impress my coworkers. So, <laughs> <laughs> so the the stereotype is, is that, you know, will you quit playing video games or you're wasting your time playing video games? What is the the redemptive idea behind this behind video games that you can I realize you can get lost in anything mm-hmm. and anything anything good can become problematic and all mm-hmm. that other kind of stuff but but is there something that that we can say is you know this this is a developer well, let me just rephrase it a little bit when I was a kid I was big D&D player Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons you know early on I mean I'm a kid of the 70s yeah. And and right about that time, there was this movement that it's of the devil. Yeah, I, I, devil I, I, I was going to say it. that. Like, it was you know, Satan yeah. But now they've discovered that that people who play role playing games actually, you know, there's math involved oh, and it yeah. stimulates parts of the brain. I mean, is there a similar kind of idea oh, with video games? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm right there with you, man. Like, I don't even know. I think we're probably about the same age, but you know, I remember. Uh, dude, it was like comic books. Comic books are the devil. You know, they rot your brain and. 
And then it was like Dungeons and Dragons. I was in sixth grade and I remember I got my hands on uh, like, uh, oh geez, it's, it was a magazine that, that, that like sort of highlighted all the cool figures you could get, like Castle something or other. I can't remember. But I was looking at it, I was like, oh, this dude's got like a chainsaw arm and there's like Warhammer 40K, these Harlequins, like, you know, these are all. And, and then, yeah, there was like that thing in the 80s, like D&D is the devil. It's like, ugh. And I was like, huh? sounds cool to me like this dragon on the cover looks awesome and uh and then video games you know people still i I roll my eyes so hard every time some politicians like video games you know this kid went psycho because he played video games it's like "Mm, you don't think it was because like you know he had easy access to a gun you know what i mean it's like video games is a scapegoat because it's a new media it's a new thing it's a new thing that is largely embraced by the youth and, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of older folks and I mean, we're not even older, like the people older, like our parents, like we're like in our 40s. You know, it's like I get video. If there's anybody who's 40 and you don't get video games, you're just a, you're just a dork. You just didn't pay attention. You know what I mean? It's been around since you were a kid. And so, like, I get it if you're like 60 something or 70 something, you don't get it, you know. But like if you're in your 40s and you don't get like why video games are cool, it's like you just haven't been paying attention. Yeah, this is we've we've grown up with this media now. And there's 100% amazing things that could be done with the storytelling medium of video games. There's, you know, there's video games that, that, that heal. There's video games that you know, help you visualize you know, uh, w- uh, kindness and, and sharing. There are, there are games that incentivize people to be good to one another. Um, there are games that, in, that, that you know, sort of increase social ties for people that, that may have anxiety or may people that, that, don't, that get, you know, have social anxiety, don't do well outside the home or outside their, their safe places. Um, there's such a, yes, it's not all doom. It's not all shotguns and blood and gore. Like, you know, there's games like animal crossing. There are games like undertale. There are games, uh, that, that emphasize, you know, the, the best of us, you know, and, and, and that are very wholesome. And, uh, so I, I largely think that's misunderstood. And I think that sometimes people like, like, like to use that as a, as a scapegoat for their failings in other areas, you know, or the real problems. Yeah. Politicians cough, cough. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah. Um, so you know, and, and, and particularly when it comes to Marvel, like one of the reasons I, I really do love working at Marvel, and it's always been a goal for mine, is because we're, 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 we have the ability to really like do mainstream things, like with something like Spider-Man, who's one of the most well-known characters in the world, and tell, and tell really great stories about, about the, what, 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 I mean, what Spider-Man's logo, with great power must also come great responsibility, right? right? And everybody knows that. And anybody who's really thought about that goes like, wow, the more powerful I get, the more responsible I have to get? Huh. So does that mean that as I get older and I get more responsibility, I'll have more power and I'll have more power? It just causes people to think, and it's a good thing. And we do that with all of the Marvel characters. And all the best Marvel characters, and all the best characters in fiction, actually, have some kind of altruistic moral, in my opinion, uh, that, that causes us to think about ourselves and think about, what life is really about and how we should treat one another. Yeah, so. I think that's a great, this is a great place to stop for our, our second break and, and, and we'll come back in a minute and talk about people. Uh, so this, this song that you, you've chosen is called landed oh, by yeah. Ben folds. Love Can you tell us ben why folds. you, why you chose this song? Um, so many is one of my favorite songs. So I used to commute from Draper to pleasant Grove at the point of the mountain all the time in the beginning of my career. And I just played this nonstop. Also, uh, it's, you know, my wife picks me up from the airport a lot. And so it's like, pick me up, I've landed. So, <laughs> so he's got a lot of love for Ben Folds. Okay. This is uh, Landed by Ben Folds.
was my fault And in a way I guess it was I'm just now finding out What it was all about We moved to the West Coast Away from everyone She never told me that Still in love
That was Landed by Ben Folds. You are listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan. Thank you, Faith. So we've been talking about you know story and, and people and how you're this idea that that even sometimes the simplest narrative can be a powerful one uh, based upon what you need, right? Mm-hmm. So well, let's talk more about people in general. You've mentioned in, in your previous presentations that that your career has been really been built on connections with other people, yeah. right? And 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 sometimes those people can lead to to great, as you said, corporate cultures and bad corporate cultures. And and let, let's explore that a little more. What is your thought process about how you connect with people in that way? Um, so I'm a, I'm a firm believer in like the law of attraction, right? Like what you put out is what you're going to get, and like how you present yourself, what you're into, you'll, you'll, you'll find, you, you'll always find your people, you know? And, you know, when you're in high school and, in in you know, you're really in a drama, you find the other kids who like drama, you know, you play sports, you find the kids. But sometimes, you know, I, I'm a hybrid. Like I like everything. Like I was kind of like a jock and I was also kind of like a drama kid. And I was also like playing Magic the Gathering. You know what I mean? Like I, I've always been this way. And so I, I love having as many friends as possible from all different kinds of backgrounds, you know, like, you know, my geeky friends and my, my CEO friends and my lawyer friends and my doctor friends and then my, you know, game developer friends. So I, I like to get a view of, of all these things and because and, I just want to have as many points of view as possible. And so, you know, throughout my career uh, in video games, I've, I've come across, you know, a lot of different types, people who are just in it for the money and then people who are in it because they really believe in what they're doing. And, uh, you know, I have a good friend at Marvel and, and, and we, he came up with this. I've always had this pulling. I have to, I have to give a shout out uh, to him. His name's Haluk. He, he, he sort of penned, he called it, you know, mercenaries and zealots. But I call it, I called it, I'm like, I'm going to take that and call it mercenaries and believers, right? So, so what, what, what that basically means is, you know, because I was talking to, to my buddy and, and he's just like, yeah, no company that's full of mercenaries has ever made anything good. The only good stuff comes from companies full of believers. And, and I was like, huh, that, that makes, you know, it, it, you know, from what I, so that, ba- that basically means that like, you know, a company that's full of people that is, are just in it from the money are going to make something generic. They're going to make something that's based, that's designed by committee. They're going to make something that is just sort of, is just sort of bleh, just kind of beige, right? Whereas when something is made by believers, that's when you get something artistic. You get something that speaks to, to life, to, to, to what it's like to be alive from that person's point of view. And it'll, and it'll resonate. But if you try to speak to everybody all the time, it's just going to be nothing. And so um, I've always, you know, and, and, and I'm not trying, this is not an adversarial thing because I, I think all of us are mercenaries and believers at the same time given in any given situation. Um, I like being, you know, I've been, I've been a mercenary. I've done things for the money, you know, and, but I like being at Marvel because I'm a, you know, what is Stan Lee would call everybody true believers. Hey, true believers. And what that means, you know, what that means to me is like, you know, you believe that you're doing something good and you believe that, you know, even video games, you know, they don't rot your brain, but you know, they can, they can be a time sink, but hopefully there's a good message there. And I believe in that. And I, I believe that in heroes and stuff, and I don't, I don't like making dark things, you know, I've, I've, I've worked in, I've worked on dark games before where everything's 
evil and there's monsters and it's it's like eh, and everybody's a shade of gray. I'm like that's kind of cool, but it's not really my vibe. I like making things that that are that are heroic and 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 speak the best about people. And so um, so yeah, you know, going through it, going through it, you know, finding your people. Uh, and, and you know, I've I've met all kinds of people and I've learned so much from them uh, over the years. So yeah, I mean, so I mean, I, how how then do you in these obviously it's not just mercenary companies that go under specifically oh, in the yeah. video game industry right yeah so i mean i think you showed a slide in one of your presentations about you know here gone 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 gone, 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 gone. renamed yeah. acquired yeah. by somebody else yeah gobbled up gobbled up so how do you say to the believers you're fired i know i know so so this is this is the hardest thing and it's it's something that i i you know anybody that i talk to that wants to go into the creative into a creative profession. If you want to go to movies, if you want to go into comics, you want to go into video games, you know, write a book of poetry. Uh, you know, Nano. I don't know if you're listening to this. I'm mad at you. <laughs> if you want to, you know, if you want to write a book, you got to deal with publishing. You got to deal with money. The money people, and the money people don't want to take risks. The creative people, all it is is risk. And so you have to find this sort of yin yang spiritual medium where you can mitigate risk while still having your artistic voice heard. Um, and, and that's really been like, that's the, that's the secret. And so, you know, to your question, like there's been a lot of layoffs. There has been a lot of layoffs. Um, you know, Microsoft Activate, like Microsoft acquired Activision and Blizzard and they laid people off from like Infinity Ward. They, from Blizzard got laid off. Uh, Bungie had some layoffs back a while back. Riot had layoffs. Everyone, sort of like a trend right now. I think Facebook and Google kicked it off last year. They laid off them and then everybody's like, oh, I guess we're doing layoffs. It's so crazy because also like 2023 was like a record profit year for the video game industry. It was like billions of dollars. Everybody was making tons of money and then everyone got to get laid off. And so I think this is just, it's just cruel. It's just the cruel and, but it's, it is, it's just business. It is business. And, um, you know, if you're smart, you know, you don't fire your believers. You don't. Because they're the ones who are the, your vision holders. They're your vision carriers. They're the ones who are going to keep the thing true. But I think when I think it's a huge mistake, you know. So what do I say to a believer that's been fired? It's they didn't deserve you, you know. I say I say they didn't deserve you. They didn't see, they didn't see your value, and they made a huge mistake. And now their game is going to be poorer for it. And I hope that they find someone, you know, that 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 can, that's creating something that they can resonate with. And bring their enthusiasm and, and their, you know, and find something else to believe in. And the safest position to be in is as a believer is in an, as an owner, you know, and that's why it's important to know a little bit about a business, a little bit about like stock options, a little bit about, you know, how to form a game company or at least get stake ownership, like all these kinds of things. You know, even if it's small, the safest place for a believer is in ownership and the safest place. And if you don't want to, if you don't have any ownership, well, then you kind of have to be a mercenary. Otherwise, you're just you're just kind of putting yourself out there to be heartbroken. So, you know, so it's kind of like, I'll take whatever money you can get. I'll take you, you know, I'll take you to the cleaners because you're not giving me any, any of your company. And there, there's, I have, a, I have a good friend of mine and, you know, we were at Blizzard one day and we were just kind of like, 
they were doing stocks. Uh, they were doing uh, bonuses one year, and our bonuses were so crap because we were new to the company or whatever. And we saw these other guys getting huge bonuses. And, and my buddy came up with this saying. He says I came up with it, but it's called steal the throne or build your own. He's like, you got to steal the throne or build your own, Josh. And I was like, dude, that's really good, Paul. And so it's kind of like, you know, by steal the throne, it means like, you know, work at a place long enough to inherit, to move up the ranks and be the guy. If you want to do that, put 20-something years and you have faith that you can do that. Or just go build your own, you know. But as creative people, so many times we're just pouring our, our heart into something that's just making someone else rich. And, uh, and if you can find a place that will give that back to you so that you can be financially stable and not live in a state of, like, fear, well, then you can focus on being more creative. You can focus on, on telling better stories. And st- you know what I mean? So, you know, when it comes to people, you, you really want to really find people that you can trust. And you want to find your people. And you want to find people that, that um, you know, that you can be real with. And my favorite managers were people that I could talk about money with, like the realities of life. And then those were the people that I gave my heart to, that I gave, did my best work for, because they weren't trying to like skirt over that I need food to eat. Like they realized it, you know? Mm-hmm. And those are the people that I really just, to this day, I still cherish. So what do you say to the person who is trying to find or being asked to lose their artistic voice, their creative voice? I would say, oh, this is such a mercenary answer. I would say, make them pay you for it. If you have to, if you have to silence yourself, at least get paid, you know, like I, and that's, and that's been a thing. It's like, Hey, I really, and and the thing is also there, if you are in an ownership position, meaning you are lead narrative, you are lead designer, you're a creative director. And then like the CEO is telling you to not do that thing. That's just a bad CEO, right? That's just bad. You, you have to support your leads in their creative vision, you know? Um, Sometimes, though, you get like associate artists or you get kind of, you know, folks that are lower on the totem pole who really have a strong voice that they want. And it's just it's just not their time. It's just not their time to to have that. Like there are other people that came before them that are just as passionate and have been waiting their turn. And that's what happens at big studios, you know, uh, at at really big places where people have worked for for decades to get their shot at the at the mic, you know, to, to do a thing. You know, like I, I think um, if you go back to Disney, you know, some of these guys or even Pixar, you know, some of these guys worked at Pixar from the from early on in the day, had to work there for like 10, 20 years before they got their shot, shot at directing a film, you know. And so you can't just walk in the door and be like, I'm here. I'm, I'm, here's my art. You got to if you're working in a large organization, you kind of have to wait your turn or start building it on your own, you know, and, and, and see if that gains any traction, because a lot of times just getting it out. Just getting it out is enough because um, the marketability – because if you want to pitch it to your company, it has to have that whole marketability aspect of the thing. It's not like, hey, I got this game about my personal life. It's like nobody cares, man. Like, you know, just go get it out. And so, you know, that, that's, that's honestly what I'd say. But it's like, it's like, hey, I'm making something and I really want to do this, but they won't – the publisher won't you – know, I really want to make a game about um, divorce. <laughs> okay, cool. Right, but, I'm gonna, but it's going to be really, really cool. Well, can you like – you know, not do that. Like, can you not make divorce? Can you make like it? Can you like make it like an allegory? You know, like a, maybe the guy like falls in love or something, and then you know it's ma- magic. Make it more of an adventure, and I'm not like a straight up like, hey, you fell in love and you got divorced because like we can't sell a game about your divorce, bro. You know what I mean? So it's like I would ask them to please like like take your artistic vision and try to like m- make it make it malleable to like something that we can understand that's not so esoteric to yourself. Uh, and then if you do it right, and if you tell the story right, and you use the right metaphors and the right allegory, people will get it. People, pe- people will understand what you're trying to say. 
you know, the force. Everybody knows what the force is. Nobody, everybody, you know, before midichlorians, <laughs> we all. How dare you? How We're not allowed to use that word on the radio. Yeah, before the M word. And people were like, dude, the force is like a spiritual thing, man. It's like something that I feel, you know, and then he killed it with midichlorians. But, but people, you know, when you use the right metaphors that we all experience throughout life, people will get it. If you, you know, people will understand. That's why horror movies are so great. You know, people are like, oh, I get, I get the allegory there, you know, like something like hereditary, you know, like, I don't know if anybody's seen that one, but it's like, it's about breakup. It's about splitting up. It's just about, a, that's really all it's about. But then you insert all this crazy stuff into it. So, you know, uh, not hereditary, that was midsummer. Hereditary is about family and family expectations. And, and legacy and, and the, the, the sort of baggage you get from your parents and the baggage they got from their parents. That's what it's about. But it's in the spooky wrapper of, you know, spooky stuff. And so you can, you know, I think, I think it just takes some massaging. And I think any, any story can be made good with enough skill. So that's what I would tell somebody. It's like, don't have to kill it. Let's just make it better. <laughs> and if you do it right, they'll know it came from you. Yeah. Right? If you build your own. Yeah. Style. Even if it's Spider-Man, you know, we know Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. Yeah, there's Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man. There's the Insomniac Spider-Man. It's like theirs. We told them to do that white spider. We want it to be the Insom- Insomniac Spider-Man. It's that white spider. It's, it's unique to them. And so, yeah, and then Todd McFarlane, you know, everybody has their own style. But the theme is always the same. He's always Spider-Man. No matter who holds the pen or is writing it, it, it always has to have that same thematic. So... You know, as long as you stick to those ideals, I think you can you can you can still make something commercial, uh, commercially viable, while still telling a story that's deeply personal to whoever's creating it. It just takes skill and patience. Super cool. <laughs> well, let's take our, our our next our final break. Uh, this is a song that you gave us called "The Greatest Man That Ever Lived" by <laughs> Weezer. Can you uh, give us a thought on this? I mean, this is just a song about like me. No, I'm just joking. Uh, <laughs> I've been running a lot and, and working out and stuff. And I just like this song in the gym. And I'm just like, dude, heck yeah. Like I'm kicking butt. It's just a, it's just a fun song. And it's got lots of different movements. It starts out all like piano-y and then it gets rock. Anyway, I like it. The Greatest Man That Ever Lived by Weezer.
said, all the world's a stage, and each of us is a player. That's what I've been trying to tell you. In Act One, I was struggling to survive. Nobody wanted my action, dead or alive. Act Two, I hit the big time, and bodies be all up on my behind. And I can't help myself, because I was born to shine. If you don't like it, you can shove it. If you don't like it, you love it. So I'll be up here in a rage So they bring the curtain down on the stage The Greatest Man That Ever Lived by the band Weezer. You are listening to the Apex Radio Hour here on KSUU Thunder 91.1. I'll turn it back to you, Ryan. Thank you, Faith. We're excited for the last segment. We're here with Josh Singh, the art director of Marvel Entertainment, and more importantly, his wife Autumn Singh has joined us uh, here for this last segment. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Josh Singh, what are you currently watching, reading, listening to, or playing that is bringing you joy? Um, I'm currently reading uh, a book called, it's called uh, The Creative Act by Rick Rubin. Um, it was recommended to me by a friend, and it's, it's, a, it's a great book about just like the philosophy of, of creating a creative environment for yourself, or making an environment where you can be creative in, and like, you know, it's, it's very vibes. It's like, what kind of vibes, like, you know, attract the muse or whatever, but I'm really enjoying it right now, uh, and especially as an art director um, or any sort of creative leader, you, you do need to learn how to keep things chill because nothing nothing good can come when people are scared. Like you, people can't take risks, and they can't be as creative as possible if they're if they're in a, a scary environment or or they feel like they're in an unsafe environment. So, so that's that's what's giving me joy right now, aside cool. from from running and trying to get in shape and get my blood pressure down. So. And your family. And my, oh yeah, my family like always. Uh, <laughs> Rick Rubin is the bearded genius. I mean, Rick Rubin is the most brilliant record producer. I mean, he's like the Phil Spector kind yeah. of that level of, yeah, he's I mean, school. reinvigorated Johnny Cat. I mean, he's just amazing. Yeah. So, all right. But Autumn Singh, what are you currently watching, reading, listening to, uh, or playing that is bringing you joy? Wow. Okay. So right now I am reading How to Sell in a Crisis. Which I really love because um, this is I'm in real estate, so this last year has been super interesting. And it, it's you know for most real estate agents, it's a little bit to your gut, like what, what's wrong with me? Why can't I figure this out? And I'm a relatively new agent, and so it's been a really trying year. But I love this book because it's just showing you 
really just how to put your head down and do the basic things. Sometimes we overcomplicate it by thinking all these things we have to do, but it's really bringing things back down to the basics, connecting with people, having conversations, putting yourself out there so people know that you're a real estate agent, that you're not just, you know, just here to hang out and sell. It's to really connect with people and genuinely help people. So like I said, it's just bringing things back to the basics, connecting with people and finding ways that kind of just brings everybody closer together. Cool. Cool. Thank you. Faith Christensen, what are you currently watching, reading, listening to, or playing that is bringing you joy? Um, easy cop out, but um, last week was my birthday, and it was a different birthday compared to others as I didn't need to go to a building for school, even though I am still in school, just online, and I had work off, so it was different as I got to stay home and do what I wanted for my birthday. <laughs> And I found that really conflicting as usually you have people around you to say, oh, happy birthday. Oh, oh, I forgot or something like that. But my husband was so caring and loving and just empathetic with that day as listening as, you know, sometimes birthdays are hard and sometimes they're different. But at the end of the day, I want to make sure you have a good birthday. So my husband's great and I love him very much and he brings me a lot of joy. (laughs) Yeah, but for you, Ryan, what are you currently watching reading listening to or playing that is bringing you joy i just finished fargo season four so i realized season five is out but fargo season four fargo was one of the most brilliantly written television shows uh on 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 tv uh fargo season four is set in 1950s kansas city with uh chris rock and uh the the mobsters and stuff so i think uh it was uh, if you want to see true story in action, uh-huh. Noah Harley uh, and the seasons of Fargo is, is uh, amazing. I'll watch and it. That, uh, is it. How's it compared to like something like True Detective season one? Uh, it, it is much more uh, twisted and convoluted. Oh no! In way. a fun storytelling. Okay. Right? Yeah. Not as dark. Right? Not not. <laughs> as, it is dark, but not as dark. And you don't have to start with Fargo season one. You can start. They're all connected. In, they're not connected in different stories in, I in love, many ways. I so. love well-written characters so, and great character interactions. And yeah, Fargo season four. Fargo season four. Lots of characters, and they're all connected. So with that, we want to thank Josh Singh for being here uh, on the Eccles Apex Radio Hour. And we're going to end with this song, uh, Here Comes Your Man by the Pixies. Anything you want to say? <laughs> I mean, this is just one of my favorite songs. It reminds me of my wife because... She really likes it. And like, I'm, you know, I don't know. It's a good one. It's just a good one. (laughs) Okay. Here comes your man by the Pixies. Thanks for listening to the Apex Radio Hour.